You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. I want us to look today at one particular name of Christ in the Old Testament, and that is the name Prince of Peace. And uh, for that, we will later read that portion of Scripture again that Blair read. Um, I believe that God wants to minister to us, to some of us today, um, through the name Prince of Peace. I'll correct myself and I'll say the Lord wants to minister to all of us through that name, Prince of Peace, today. It's a wonderful, wonderful title, um, which even on the surface is full of meaning. What a wonderful name to give anyone, Prince of Peace. But as we will discover as we go through this this morning, that underneath that word shalom, which is the Hebrew word for, for peace, is a multiplicity of other little ideas which make it into a huge word. Shalom has only six letters. In Hebrew, it's only got four. But it is a huge word. We most commonly know it as peace, but it is not limited at all to the word peace. It's much more than that. And we as Christians often long for peace in the midst of a world of turmoil. We often long for the Prince of Peace to come and wrap everything up. Do you remember last week we heard Gary... Peterson talk about the uh, whole idea of, oh, Lord, why don't you come back? And he said to us, he asked us, how many of us have prayed that prayer? Oh, Lord, won't you come back and wrap it all up? And all of us, yeah, admitted to it. And then he gave us a gentle rebuke. And he said, you know, this is the most exciting time in history to be alive. Grab those opportunities and don't be always longing for God to come and wrap it all up again. And yet, even so, we still long for peace. We still long for everything to come to an end that's against peace, everything that's contrary to the way God intended it to be. Who here doesn't long for peace? I remember as a child hearing my mother long for peace. Have you ever, have you got those memories? Um, Perhaps you can identify with me. She used to let us know in no uncertain terms that she was desiring peace. And furthermore, that we were the reason she didn't have peace. And um, I should say, in particular, it was me. Um, I was probably the most misbehaved of all the four of us. And um, I often heard her say to me, Samuel, give my head a wink of peace. (laughs) Now, that's Northern Irish for something in Australia, which I don't yet know. Um, But I'm sure you can identify with me uh, when your mother said something in Australian similar to that. If you don't know what that means, you're a little angel. Um, But everyone longs for peace. To have that state in which um, everything's just right. And yet, as we live on this earth, we know that that state is somewhere out in front of us. We can't really fully obtain it. And yet, at the same time, There is the promise of peace with the coming of the Prince of Peace that um, means that peace is not absent in this world. If we look around, we will find peace. And yet the longing in all of our hearts is like a longing of a child waiting for his father to come home. Will he soon be home? Will he soon be here? And the answer is, well, yes, he's come already. He's gone away. He's left his Holy Spirit as a replacement 
and he will come again to fully establish his powerful reign. If we look around today at the headlines that are in the world, they're really, really shocking at times. Um, We have headings like, President Obama says he warned Putin to stop hacking the elections. Tensions in the South China Sea. Strike on IS-held town kills dozens. James Mad Dog Matisse will be appointed Trump's defense secretary. And to say, you know, the list could go on and on and on of bad news titles. But it would be very imbalanced and wrong of me just to leave it there because there are wonderful um, items of news. If we dig deep enough, we'll find them. Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, there were a couple of good ones. Listen to this. Daniel Andrews' war on religion falters. The spectator, yay. (laughs) May he continue to falter in his war on religion, uh, on Christ in particular. Crime in New South Wales at a 20-year low. Wonderful. Pity it wasn't happening here in Victoria. But you can pray. Crime went up in Victoria 9% last year. In New South Wales, it went the other way. I wonder why. Has it something to do with the fact that their premier is a godly man? Has it something to do with the fact that the chief of police is a believer? Don't know. Has it has definitely got something to do with the fact that people are praying. And we could, we could turn that around, I believe, by our prayers. Pray for the peace of Victoria, the shalom of Victoria. Pray for the removal of um, ungodly ideas and for the putting in place of a state of shalom as much as is possible with godly leaders. I want to read that text again from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 to 7. It's a text that we pull out at Christmas time. And it's it's very appropriate. Let's um, read that portion. The first part is the context of a war, the aftermath of a battle. And the second part has to do with the name of Jesus. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you, were, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Listen to this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and holding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, And into that beautiful name, that wonderful name, that powerful name that we were just singing about earlier. We ask that you will open our hearts, that you will remove the blinkers from our eyes. If there's any lack of understanding, take it away. And may your power, your beauty, and your wonder be seen by all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you intend to study God's word, either to preach or to teach or 
you know, even for your own private study and uplifting, I would encourage you to get a concordance. You might say, what is a concordance? Well, a concordance is a book or software that has all the words of the Bible listed there. Number is given to the word, and its meaning is explained, and where it is found in the Bible is t uh, told to you as well. And so one of those concordances, and the most famous, I would say, is the Strong's Concordance. And uh, you can get that online free. You just go to Bible Tools, BibleStudyTools.com, and you can find that wonderful study tool. So in that study tool, the word for peace in our reading today, the Prince of Peace, is the word shalom. And it is number 7,965. And the meaning is given here. And I want you to listen to the meaning. You think it's a little word, but listen to this. Shalom and shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, absence of agitation, absence of discord. Shalom, shalom the, the noun comes from the root verb shalom, meaning complete, perfect, full. And in modern Hebrew, it's still used and is um, related to the word shalem, which means to pay for, and shulam, which means to be fully paid for. What a beautiful word. What a full word, an extensive word for us. And uh, as we look into the fuller meaning of shalom, let's look into what it means for us today. And uh, let's look at the significance of the meaning of Prince of Peace. Do you know that in, in Hebrew, that word Prince of Peace is actually Sar Shalom, Sar Shalom. Anybody uh, recognize a connection between Sar and some other word that we might know? Uh, the, there's Sar Nicholas, Sar Shalom, Jesus. Just a little connection for those of you who like languages. The coming of the Prince of Peace is a literal fulfillment of something that happened way back in the book of Numbers. Recently, if you were a regular in church here, you will know that we've been dedicating quite a few babies or children to the Lord. Just We don't baptize them, but we bring them up and we dedicate their lives uh, to the Lord. And we promise to order our lives in such a way that we will not hinder them. We order our lives in such a way that we will encourage them in their faith. And uh, over the last couple at least, Stuart has read out this blessing, this song, or this prayer from Aaron. The other day, I was speaking to someone, and I talked about the Aaronic blessing. And they, their uh, face went a little bit strange and thought, I, they thought I'd said ironic blessing. <laughs> but I was saying the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron. And I would like to read it to you. It may sound familiar to you. It's just my accent. Maybe, Crystal, you could uh, interpret for me as well. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites. And will bless them. So when the uh, priests of Israel and the prophets would bless the people of Israel like that, it was as though they were putting the name 
of God upon the Israelites. So it's a beautiful thing to bless someone with the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron. And um, it's fulfilled in an actual person, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the most beautiful way, it wasn't just uh, a few words strung together. It was actually Aaron. Maybe he didn't know this himself, but he was actually predicting the coming of Jesus Christ into the world to save us. Imagine if we have the Lord blessing us and keeping us. Imagine if the Lord's face was shining upon us. Imagine if he were gracious to us. And imagine if he would give us peace. We don't need to imagine because he already has done that in the form of Jesus Christ. If he is blessing us, if he's giving us peace, what do we need to be afraid of? There is nothing that can come against us as believers. And if the Lord's face is turned towards us, that means he's covered our sin. Because Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says about God, it says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. So if there were uh, in the life of a believer sin, the Lord will not look on that sin. He'll not look on us. But because that sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord can look on us. He can turn his face to us and he can give us peace. When I think of, of peace, I think of the Psalm 23. It's the most beautiful psalm. It talks about the security that the Lord brings. It talks about the provision of the Lord. It talks about the protection of the Lord in the valley of the shadow of death. For me, it's a whole psalm about the whole idea of shalom. So when Isaiah was prophesying about the name of Jesus, that'd be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Do you know how long before Jesus, it was before Jesus came on the scene? It was over 700 years. 700 years in history before Jesus came. So when is this promise of the prince of peace for? Was it back then? Was it 2,000 years ago? Is it now? Is it in the future? I think that's a fair question that we, can, that we should ask to ourselves today. Because at any day in the last 2,000 years, if we took any day in the last 2,000 years, we could not say that peace has come in a full and absolute way in any place on the earth over the last 2,000 years. So when people look back and they see history as being a story about war, they may contradict the whole notion of a Prince of Peace coming and whether he had started his reign or not. But from this text, we know that he hadn't come at the time of writing, at least. Let's look at verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We know from this text that when the king or the prince of peace comes and when he starts what he came to do, he will not stop doing it forever. So we know that it wasn't, he wasn't there at the time of writing. We know that we had to wait 750 years to come. And if we look into the rest of the book of Isaiah, we'll find a lot about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we look at Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about his death, why he came to come. Uh, came to, to earth. Why did he come? He came to die. He came to suffer. He came to be 
um, nailed to a cross to bear our sins, to bear our diseases, to bear our iniquities. Isaiah is full of what Jesus came to do, written 750 years before he came. But we know that this Prince of Peace that was prophesied about in Isaiah, we know him as Jesus of Nazareth, who came about 2,020 years ago. His birth, he doesn't exactly coincide with our 2016 years that we have now. Scholars reckon it was three or four years prior to that that he came. But anyway, roughly the same. The question for us today is, has the Prince of Peace begun his reign? And it's a question that has perplexed the church down through the years. Some say, no, he hasn't begun his reign yet. Why did they say that? Well, they look around and they see the war that's going on. They see sickness. They see things are not completely in order. Others say, yes, his reign has come and it has come in its fullness. And yet there's another group, an increasingly large group, which says, well, it's a bit of both, really. The king has come and he has begun his reign. We can see things happening. We can see his victory over Satan. We can see that when things are done in his name, demons have to shudder. Demons flee. People are healed. People are saved. People's lives are transformed. But yet, it's not an absolute thing yet. So we say it is now and not yet. There's a little cafe in Warrandyke called the Now and the Not Yet. Have you ever been there? But it's deliberately called that because it wants to reflect the state of the kingdom of God and the rule of the Prince of Peace. This announcement of the coming of the Prince of Peace was given in the New Testament as well, and I would like to read that to you. It's in Luke chapter 2, a very Christmassy portion of Scripture. It says in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Lord was a term used for Yahweh in the Old Testament. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared and with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, listen, peace to men. And on earth, shalom to men on whom his favor rests. That's the promise of the Prince of Peace. But you know what? It's not all straightforward because there is a paradox also of the Prince of Peace. You would think that the coming of the Prince of the Peace to the world if it were in all its fullness and if it were in all power and all dynamism, that it would be an absolute transformation. There would be complete and utter cessation of violence, instantaneous victory of good over evil, and Jesus uh, would be on his throne immediately. But it doesn't seem like that was his timetable. That will be the ultimate end. Jesus said strangely in Matthew 10, 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That sounds like a, a, a great letdown there. 
For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's not a, a happy picture. This is a puzzling picture, so I, I decided to look up the commentaries and see what was going on there. And Matthew Henry, uh, which is a commentary that you can also get online free, and it's quite an old one, um, he said this. He's basically saying that Jesus is giving us here a worst-case scenario. Um, it does not mean, thankfully, that every single one of us in this building today, when we come to faith in Christ, will have a domestic warfare at home because of following Jesus. But he was saying that it was going to happen in cases. Also, Jesus was not denying that he would ultimately bring peace. But he was intimating that there would be a struggle before that ultimate peace would come. And uh, he was also saying that the consequence of his coming to the earth was going to bring a struggle, a severe struggle, in which even family members would turn against each other. I think in the context of Isaiah chapter 9, we can see that the Prince of Peace would be born into a, a state of conflict. The first five verses of Isaiah chapter 9 are talking about a conflict situation, and they're recounting the aftermath of a battle. And it may be your experience today that you are uh, going through a time of opposition since you came to Christ. That opposition may be come in the form of circumstances are just going silly with you. And maybe you're suffering illnesses. Maybe things are breaking down. Maybe uh, people at your work are coming against you. Maybe family are coming against you. And you're facing opposition. You know, Satan absolutely hates to lose people from his kingdom. And we are finding uh, in our experience that when people come to Christ nowadays, they go through a kind of a hell on earth um, as they face all kinds of opposition. And this is designed to break them. This is designed to bring them back to Satan's will and reign again. He cannot stand it when someone loses or leaves his kingdom. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 is very encouraging in this sense. Um, it talks about... 1 John talks, uh, or John speaks very simply in, in his way in those epistles. And he says things like, we know that everyone born of God does not continue to sin. And by that he means they're not characterized by sin. They're not known by their sin. It doesn't mean that they don't slip up from time to time. It just means they're not characterized by sin. Why? Because the one who is born of God keeps them safe. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. That's Jesus. He keeps them safe. And the evil one cannot harm them. That is a wonderful line. Those who are truly born of God cannot be ultimately harmed by the evil one. So if you're going through opposition um, at this point in time, you've allied yourself with the Prince of Peace and all of a sudden you find you have no peace because the devil's coming against you, take courage because he cannot ultimately harm you. Stick with Jesus. He's going to stick with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For those who are struggling with family members opposing you, Take hope from this verse in Acts 16. Listen to this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Trust God for that verse. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ himself had opposition from his own family. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. They didn't believe in him. Did it remain like that? No. 
After he died and rose again, the family of the Lord Jesus Christ came on side with him because they saw the reality of his life and death. And Jesus says in John 16, 33, a wonderful verse, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Lord Jesus Christ has overcome the world and the flesh and the devil. So let's take courage from that. His victory has been won, and the last battle will be fought one day, and Satan will have no longer any say over anything. You see, the prince of little darkness is not the counterpart of the prince of peace. Who is the counterpart of the prince of peace? There is none. There's no opposite or equally opposite counterpart to the prince of peace. The devil has been set up to be the opposite of Jesus. He's not. He's a minion. He is this little thing in the eyes of Jesus, a little creature who has got a little bit of a rule over this earth presently, but will one day be cast into the lake of fire along with those who serve him. But he's, he's nothing really. He can kick up a bit of a fuss, but he cannot harm us. So says the word of God. So that brings me to the, not only do we have the promise of the Prince of Peace, the paradox of the Prince of Peace, but we have the preeminence of the Prince of Peace. And uh, he's going to be and is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is Jesus Christ himself who shall reign forever and ever. And our text today pretty much tells us that. Verse 7, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of Yahweh Almighty will accomplish this. And then in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we have a verse that says something even more wonderful. The seventh angel sounded the trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. When I read that yesterday, uh, my breath was almost taken literally away. So please stand. As they do, when the Hallelujah Chorus is sung in uh, the park down there at Sydney Meyer Music Bowl. And let us say uh, the words here. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Until the next time you say that. <laughs> Does not send a chill up your spine. The presence of the Prince of Peace. Lucy read a lovely portion of Scripture earlier on, and I would like to read it again, because I want to talk about the presence of the Prince of Peace. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received of or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And listen to this. And the God of peace will be with you. 
Not only will the peace of God be with you, but the God of peace will be with you. All in the same portion of Scripture. And so if we look at all the words that go to describe that little word shalom, it takes 15 English words in the concordance to pack that word out, to explain what it is. And as I looked at it, I grouped the words into groups of similar kind of nuance. So um, the first group was completeness, wholeness, fullness, and perfectness. I never knew there was a word called perfectness. I thought it was perfection. But it's a slightly different word from perfection. So um, beyond a straight translation of the word uh, shalom as peace, we have this completeness, wholeness, fullness, and perfectness. We as humans um, are experiencing shalom only in part. I mean, I should say as redeemed humans. We're experiencing shalom only in part. And while we're here on earth, we shall never be entirely complete. We won't be in the state that Adam was in when he was created. We won't be in the state that Jesus is now because we don't have that body. We don't have that uh, situation. But shalom is working on us. And bit by bit, these things are taking over in our lives, we trust. I have a wonderful verse here in Colossians 2, verse 9. It says about Jesus Christ and then about us, something about fullness. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What a wonderful, high Christological view of Jesus Christ. That man, that man, that God-man, in him, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And what's wonderful as well, verse 10 says, And you have been given fullness in Christ. Those who love Jesus, those who are born of, of God, have been given fullness in Christ. So there's that shalom coming into us now. As Christ looks at us, we are complete. We used to sing a lovely song in, in youth, which said, We are complete in him. And it's true. It says, And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. That's why he doesn't have a counterpart. He's amazing. And then the second group of words has to do with health. Health, soundness, welfare. In a bodily sense, shalom means that we would have full health and soundness in our bodies. Now, before I cause any confusion, I do not think that in this time and in this dispensation, it has been promised to us that we would always have good health. I think that's our experience as humans, and I think also it's what the Word of God teaches us. If we were always to have good health and completeness and fullness all of the time, well, then there should be people around here at 300, 400 years old. But I don't see any. They've all gone on. Because that shalom, that fullness of health, fullness of soundness of mind and welfare, has not reached us yet. And I know that there are believers out there, some dear friends who believe it has, but I think as we look around, we will be under no illusion that we do not have that fullness of health. And yet, from time to time, and quite frequently, God brings shalom healing 
into our midst. My own two boys were healed on the same day of allergies that they were born with. And to this very day, they can eat anything, although they don't like everything. <laughs> and um, I've seen people healed by the grace of God before my eyes. I've seen fingers that were twisted and broken, fixed. I've seen a bird get healed because I prayed for it. A broken leg, and now it's running around beautifully without any vet or any intervention. God chooses from time to time to bring that shalom healing, and I think he wants to do it more than we allow him to do it. Sometimes we don't have it because we don't ask. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Sometimes it's like that. But many, many times it is that God designs not to heal people at certain times because of his glory, because of what he wants to teach us. So that's where I think shalom health and shalom soundness and shalom welfare stands at the moment. All of these things are coming to us, but not in the fullness that they will when Christ comes to take up his reign. Then I, wanted, uh, I saw peace and tranquility, which are very similar. Uh, they're synonyms, really. Uh, and when we think about shalom, that's the first thing we think about. I wonder, is peace on earth a possibility? I believe it is. Not absolutely, once again, but I believe it is. There can be transformation on this earth. And I have experienced that peace, I want to tell you. Um, in 2003, our ship pulled into Guatemala. And I've told this story before. I'd heard through a video called Transformations that there was a revival going on in a town in Guatemala called Almalonga. And little did I know that when we would pull into the dock in San Jose in Guatemala, on the quayside would be the people from Almalonga. Bus loads of them. And not only were there people, but they brought the produce that God had given them um, carrots the length of that forearm, beetroots that size, um, cabbages this size, and so many other wonderful things that God had given to them when he transformed their land. But I had the wonderful opportunity of going up to that village. That's a town, really, 22,000 people, I think. It's a town. You can give it a... It's not a village. And um, when I went there, I could sense tangibly the all-pervading peace that was in that town. 93% of that town had come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Previously, it had been a town with 23 bars and three churches. By the time the revival had really taken root, there were three bars and 23 churches. The tables were turned. People had left drunkenness. And the peace that you could sense in that town was tangible. They played worship music over the, the loudspeakers in the whole of the town. People had been raised from the dead. People were healed of gangrene. You know, they were arranging their funeral. They were gangrenous. And they're alive today. But the peace is the thing that really hit me between the eyes. I could sense it. See, what happens when enough people come under the rule of the prince of peace? Peace comes to the area. Imagine what Melbourne would be like if the Prince of Peace was ruling here. To the same extent as he is ruling in Almalonga. Imagine. And by the way, peace wasn't the only thing that 
the revival of the Holy Spirit brought to Alma Longa. And if you want to find out more, talk to me later. But peace was amazing. Then there's uh, safety and deliverance. Part of Shalom. How many of you have been knowingly spared from serious accidents by the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Safety, the Prince of Deliverance? Put your hand up if you have been. Yeah, I have definitely been. I sometimes feel like I can't. With more lives than nine. Still here. Still got all my fingers, even though it was a butcher. Um, <laughs> safety, deliverance. I've seen it happening. Deliverance from the demonic. I have seen the Lord Jesus delivering people from the demonic. And what a thrill I got when I heard that the name of Jesus was able to dispel that little minion creature thing that was disturbing somebody. Just the name of Jesus. But then as we know, the name of Jesus is very big. He's the Prince of Peace, and peace is very big, let alone just the name. I was thinking about the name Yahweh, you know, the Old Testament name for Yahweh, and thinking about a huge pyramid down below it of all the ramifications of the meaning of Yahweh. How full is that name? How unpronounceable. The Jews did not pronounce that name. They were afraid to. It was so holy. But Jesus' name is powerful. Once again, I think of Psalm 23 as a beautiful picture of safety and deliverance under the Good Shepherd. Another name for the Prince of Peace. And then there's prosperity. What our souls really long for as human beings, and especially as Christian human beings, is shalom. But what the human heart in its warped desires really longs for turns out more like financial prosperity. That's what most of people are longing for today, financial security and prosperity. And um, they think that that is shalom. They think that's peace. But you know, that's such a diminishing of the word peace, such a limitation of it, that it's just insulting to the word peace. Money and prosperity does not bring anyone inner peace. And we can see that time and time again in uh, the super wealthy. They're not at peace. They're never out of court. People are suing them all the time. They're getting divorced. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Um, because it doesn't, money and prosperity doesn't bring that shalom. True prosperity is all of those things that are wrapped up in shalom. And sometimes, once again, it pleases the Lord to prosper someone financially. Um, I remember growing up, you know, in Northern Ireland, when people got saved, they began to prosper. Why was that? Well, they stopped gambling for a start. They stopped drinking for another start. And they stopped smoking. And all of a sudden, they had all this money. <laughs> and, and then uh, they were able to buy their house. They were able to move out of the ghetto into the suburbs and things like that. They began to prosper. But it wasn't anything super miraculous it was just what the change of lifestyle naturally did. And of course, there could have been an element of God blessing them. But prosperity, it isn't a sign that someone's saved. Be careful of those teachings that say you have to have a jet to get around or a Mercedes-Benz 500 Selectomatic. <laughs> you know, that, you don't have to have that to be a Christian, you know. You could easily drive a 1982 Commodore. 
and um, just be as prosperous. It says here in Micah chapter 4, 3 and 4, They will beat their swords into plowshares, their, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And that is a wonderful Old Testament picture of shalom. Because moving on to rest and harmony and the absence of agitation and discord, when someone sits under their own fig tree and under their own vine, they're resting. We sit down to rest. The Bible talks about Jesus sitting down at the right hand of the Father after he had done his job. And when you have your own vine tree and your own fig tree, you're not renting uh, from a landlord. You are resting in your own place. And that is a picture of shalom, harmony. And if there's no one to make you afraid, there's no discord, there's no agitation. That's what the Prince of Peace wants to bring to us. That's what he wants to bring to this world right here and now. That's what he will ultimately bring when he sets up his kingdom on earth in the new heaven and the new earth. I want to invite all of us to get on the side of the Prince of Peace. John 14 verse 25 says, All this I have spoken, this is Jesus, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus was going away, but what was he going to leave with the, the people there when he left? He said this in the next verse, Peace I leave with you. Shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because Jesus wants to give all of this to us now in increasing measure. Jesus is changing this world one person at a time. And Gary Peterson alluded to that very strongly last week when he said this is the most exciting time to be alive because Christianity is the fastest growing religion. It's not Islam. It's Christianity, true Christianity. In Iran, millions are turning to Jesus. Why? Because Islam is bankrupt. And the Ayatollah Khomeini showed them that. Jesus is changing the world one person at a time. He's changing it through you and me. He's bringing shalom in. And even though it was 2,020 uh, years ago when he came the first time in Bethlehem in Judea to a real town, to a real stable, he's, he's coming again in the future. Are you ready to receive him? If you look at um, the rankings of the most um, influential person in the world, there are many people do it, but invariably they'll all point to Jesus Christ as the most influential human being who ever lived. Very few people dispute that he came. Have you let him into your life? Have you let him bring you peace? Have you let him bring you shalom? May this Christmas be the last Christmas that you live independently. Invite him in to your life. Bring the Prince of Peace in because nothing bad comes with him. Good for you. Good for your family, good for your friends, good for your society. I don't understand why so few people want to be bothered with him. But that's probably because there's an enemy out there. 
we rejoice that we're seeing over the last year quite a few people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior through the witness of his people in this area. Wouldn't it be lovely to see an absolute invasion of people coming here to seek the Prince of Peace, to seek his salvation in 2017? May we just be, um, you know, totally overwhelmed by people coming here to seek Jesus. May two services not be enough. May there be four. And may we find some way to work it because um, this place needs to hear about Jesus. He has come. He went back into heaven. He left his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is here. He's coming again to set up shalom in all its fullness. What a day that will be. And that's why we say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to leave you with one line from Romans 5.1, which says about us Christians, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. May the Lord bless you. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.